1938 Alfred Hitchcock movie is indeed a spy movie, and its beauty is in the intrigue it develops and presents almost from the beginning. Not the details of espionage, and certainly not the action, but a compelling story that draws you in quickly. We're talking about The Lady Vanishes, and Tom and I are going to decode it right now. And one thing I like here, Dan, is you're saying that there's not, you know, certainly not the action. Yeah. There's not a lot of action, but it's an intriguing spy story. Yeah. And I wish today's movies could think about the story more rather than just what the next yes. big stunt is. Yeah. But, okay, anyways, we, we need to make sure. You, you mentioned that this is the 1938 Alfred Hitchcock movie. Right. There have been a couple remakes. The biggest one was in 1979 with Elliot Gould, Sybil Shepard, and Angela Lansbury playing Miss Froy. Nor are we talking about the 2012 version or the 2013 TV movie version of this thing. Today we're strictly going to be talking about the Hitchcock version from 1938, which in our opinion is the best of all of them. We've seen all of them, but the yeah. Hitchcock one's the best. Yeah. The Although you do have to, I mean, Angela Lansbury is Miss Freud. I mean, that's just oh, she's a natural terrific, casting. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's, that's a natural casting. All right. The running time of this movie is an hour and 36 minutes. So it's a quick, nice movie to watch. And the cast is just fantastic. Of course, directed by Alfred Hitchcock. Margaret Lockwood plays Iris Henderson. Michael Redgrave as Gilbert Redman. Mary Whitty as Miss Froy, Paul Lucas as Dr. Hartz, and there's a bunch of others, including two English gentlemen, Basil Ratford, who is Charters, and Naughton Wayne, who plays Caldicott, the other English gentleman. <laughs> These two characters are awesome. Yeah, they're, they're, they're a nice sense of levity and distraction from some of the things that happen. So yeah. it's, it's really cool. A terrific screenplay by Frank Launder and Sidney Gilliatt, based on loosely on the 1936 novel The Wheel Spins by Ethel Lena White. All right. So we see in the beginning a small inn at a railroad stop and a snowed-in train. So the passengers and those who would have boarded are now stranded, at least for the night. So we have an entertaining and interesting type scenario already. It maybe almost reminds us of an Agatha Christie story. Oh, this definitely has an Agatha Christie feel. Yeah. And at one point in this, people are going to be tra- people are going to be on a train. They can't get off. Yep. Now, one of the interesting things when we look at the timing of this thing is Agatha Christie created Poirot in 1920 yeah. with the mysterious affairs at Styles. Miss mm-hmm. Marples came along in 1927, and Murder on the Orient Express, and I'm going to say slash Murder on the Calais Coach, because depending on where you were in the world, you got one of those two titles. That was in 1934. Yeah, yeah. So she published her concept of intrigue on the train and people being stranded two years before The Wheel Spins was was released as a book. Yeah, yeah. And four years before this movie. So this kind of has more of a Murder on the Orient Express feel to it, and I think that Murder on the Orient Express probably heavily influenced this movie. Yeah, it does. And actually, you know, if you look around on... And you see some of the Hitchcock interviews and so on and things he has said about this movie. He at one point said that it was kind of, it was obviously loosely based on the story we said, the book. But there was an incident in in Paris and where a little girl's mother got sick and she they sent her off to go get medicine. And I think this was during the World Exposition or something. And... 
by the time she got back, they said, what mother? What room? There's no no woman here like that. And apparently the woman had gotten the the bubonic plague or something, and they didn't want anybody to know that because Paris would have emptied out, they said. And so it's like, and Hitchcock knew about this story. It's like, okay. You mean the government wasn't telling the truth? Come on, that never happens. So we're going to see some cool stuff here. And Hitchcock uh, maybe taking some things from real life here and working them into the movie. All right, we see a number of characters in this small inn, and now it is clear that they have to stay for the night. And the rooms, of course, are filling up quickly. We see a number of characters, including the two gentlemen we had mentioned from England, who are obsessed with a cricket match, a few women who are traveling together, and it turns out one of them is going to be married next week and has stayed at the inn before, a young musician who plays the clarinet while his party does a Balkan dance, <laughs> stomping on the funny. floor in the that room above funny. the woman who's going to be married. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. Another couple, a lawyer and his wife, I say in quotes, who really is his mistress, and an older woman. All right. Yeah, that wasn't his wife. <laughs> yeah, definitely not. And so, okay, so we see another train story from Hitchcock here. Remember the 39 Steps. And we see a number of terrific train scenes in that movie, as we did in his 1936 movie, Secret Agent, which is a great movie as well. This one will have almost the entire story unfold on the train. Again, similar, like you said, Tom, to Murder on the Orient Express in terms of the setting. All right. This is in a fictitious continental European country called Bandrika. And from the opening shot of the train station and the engine of the train buried in snow, you wonder, hmm, this looks like a model train board. And most of what was filmed in this movie was on set. So, in fact, Hitchcock said something like, we filmed it on a set 39 feet long and that they used one coach for the train and the rest were transparencies or miniatures. So... So what we will see as panoramic backdrops of the mountains and more is all basically rear projection. <laughs> and, and we know Hitch loved rear projection. Anyways, I thought the same thing about this, about the model set. Yeah. And really kind of how primitive it looked. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I was kind of surprised. I, you know, I watched Fritz Lang's Metropolis the other day. Yeah. And that was nine years before this. And there's the whole sea of Metropolis. And you can tell it's miniatures, especially with the planes and stuff like that. But it had a more realistic feel than this set did. Mm-hmm. Now, that said, this opening shot is classic Hitchcock. I mean, he's got this sweeping shot from the mountainside, and it ends up taking us into the hotel. So it's this long shot yes. where we're seeing the whole mountainside. Great camera and, stuff. Yeah, really great camera work up to the window of the hotel, and then we go in. Yeah, And it kind of reminded me a little bit of a movie that he did later that we've done a podcast episode on, on Hitchcock's Notorious. Oh, yeah. Where in that shot, there was that long shot from the balcony that takes us into Alicia's hand. That was a very smooth edit and a very smooth shot. Here, the cut from the model that we saw into the room wasn't. It was pretty stark the way it did that. Yeah. And it's one of the problems of working with a model and then switching to a set. Yeah. But still, it it was a classic type of a Hitchcock shot 
that we'll see in many more of his movies. Yeah, it's a beautiful model. I mean, it, it was done well, the model. But you can kind of tell it's a model. There's three little characters just standing there still, absolutely still, until it pans a little bit to the right. And then you see a little jerky movement on yeah, a couple they, of the characters. They repositioned the like couple somebody, Yeah, somebody flipped them and so on. But it gives you the concept. Okay, you're you're in this mountain town. It and gives you the setting. You yeah, feel like you're there. Something cool is going to happen here. Yeah. and. So we're set up nicely for that. All right. So we have an interesting and entertaining scene for the night. It's the inn runs out of rooms, and the two English gentlemen must use the maid's room. And she comes in and out of it with getting hats or to get dressed and stuff. And, and it made it amusing, which is, you know, not, you know, you're not laughing too often in a Hitchcock movie. Absolutely. So. And, and she was great because she, she, she seemed to sense that these guys were uncomfortable with her in there. Yeah. And she, the looks she was giving him and, and everything, it just cracked me up. It was, it was a really good comic break really yeah, early. They, in the, they were getting embarrassed, the guys. And I think, yeah. yeah, like you said, I think she was playing it off. It was like, okay. <laughs> yep. Yeah. And of course, because there are so many staying at the inn, they run out of food as well. But these two English gentlemen, they get dressed in tuxedos to go down for dinner, only to find that there is no more food. But and they wanted big, thick steak. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, Oops. <laughs> they sit with this older woman who tells them how much she loves the mountains and likens the mountains to a family. And she was a nanny and so on. And she's amusing. They're getting yeah, a little but they're, bored. They're, they're bored with her, right? Yeah, I think they're getting a little as, bored. Because she's, she's going on. But the cool thing is, listen, if, when you're watching this, listen to the music in the background while she's talking to them. Yeah. You're going to hear it at least three more times in the movie. Yeah, because she's going to go back to her room after she excuses herself, and she gives them, the two gentlemen, her scraps of cheese that she has left, which they loved, they devoured. And she excuses herself. She goes back to her room. And she's listening out of her window to a street musician playing a tune. And, uh, now, and she's not just listening, though. If you watch her, she's, like, clapping with it. Yeah, she's like into in, it. Into this song. Like she's timing something or whatever. Yeah. And we see a hand come out, though, and attack this musician below. And we don't know why. We're going, what? But remember the music. You're going to yeah, hear it later. Yeah, the, the important part there is when I watch this and then and the guy gets grabbed, I'm going, did they like do a bad edit job here? Uh-huh. Yeah. And this is Hitchcock. You don't normally see bad edits, but no, it's like, no, no. did this, did something in the plot line? I mean, you never see the guy again. No, you don't. You're like, what the heck is going on? Well, we'll find out a it's little bit later. the music. So keep an ear out for the music because I think that's the key in that scene. So, with many amusing parts to this overnight story, including the meeting of the young musician and the woman who's going to be married next week, as she has him kicked out of his room for making all the noise above her. Remember, he's playing the clarinet, and his family is doing the Balkan dance, and they're pounding on the floor, and the chandeliers are shaking in her room below. And she stayed at the inn before she knows the innkeeper, so she pulls some strings, and he kicks the guy, the musician, out of his room. Well, he's got nowhere to go. So he walks into her room, <laughs> and he wants to stay there. <laughs> Well, and he's very obnoxious about it. And this is something you actually see in a lot of movies of where these people and the guy's going to come in all cocky or whatever. And, and and it's funny, but it serves a purpose too. Mm -hmm. And so he, he goes, he's in the room and he's using the bathroom. I think he's brushing his teeth or something. And while he's doing that, he's humming a March 
And here's more music. We will hear the same march years later in the Bridge on the River Kwai, 1957 movie. It's called the Colonel Bogey March, and it was written in 1914 by F.J. Ricketts, which was Kenneth J. Elford's pen name. So this is kind of cool that they're humming this tune, and it's going to appear later in the Bridge on the River Kwai. All right, we just yeah. know that these two people, the musician and this, and this young woman who is going to be married next week, they're going to develop a friendship somehow despite these odd circumstances of their meeting. But yeah. it's, <laughs> it it's, is. it's a great scene. Yeah, and then and then there's another scene here before we get out to the train. I mean, this is kind of wraps up the, the end part of the story. So this movie came out after the Hayes Code took effect, and we need to remember the timing here. Now, in our podcast episode we've done on Notorious, we talk about one of the things in the Hayes Code is that they can't kiss for longer than three seconds. Three seconds, yeah. Three seconds, <laughs> and how they how they work around that. There are other things in the Hayes Code, like a, a, a guy and a woman couldn't be in bed together right. without one of them having their foot on the floor. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, just crazy things like that. Uh-huh. And so in this scene here that you just were talking about with, with the man and the woman, and then another scene with the two English gentlemen, the Hayes Code kind of is interesting here because yeah. in this scene, the musician sits on the bed that the young lady's in, and he has a foot on the floor yep. until he kind of jumps across the bed to the other side. Now, there is a brief second where they're both on this bed with no feet on the floor. Yeah, that's true, where and he's then, running across the bed. Yeah. And then there's this other scene where the two English gentlemen, they're in the same bed. I mean, remember, the, the, the hotel was packed yeah. because of the stuck train. And they're using the maid's room. And they're using the maid's room. Now, one of the guys didn't have a shirt on. Yeah, right. So these two guys are in this, like, twin bed or double bed. One of the guys doesn't have a shirt on. There was no suggestion of romance between these two guys. Not at all, no. But you juxtapose that with the way that... He had to ju- the other guy had to jump over the bed, mm-hmm. and the way they, you know, his foot was on the floor and all of that. Right. The way the Hayes Code worked, with the two guys in the bed, there was no hint of romance, but that was fine. Yeah, that was but fine. Here, but here, the guy has to practically leap over the bed to get to the other side of it. Yeah, and it's just, it's just the Hayes Code was so funny. Yeah, it, it, it was cool. But these are great scenes because of these odd scenarios, and you always get odd scenarios in Hitchcock movies, but. These are amusing odd scenarios, which is kind of cool. All right, so the next morning, the tracks are cleared from the avalanche that had blocked the train, and they could be on their way. The young women who are together are speaking with each other, and they're speaking with the older woman. Only the one who's going to be married is going to board the train. Her other two friends are staying behind. The older woman will board the train as well. You know, now, Dan, we keep talking about the older women and the one that's going to get married. Let's put some names on them. Yeah, the older woman of course, is, is Froy. going to be Miss Froy. Froy. And, and if you watch this with with, with the closed caption, almost every time it says Freud. Yeah, <laughs> like right. the, yeah they can't the pick up Froy. F-R-O-Y, Froy. Yeah. And the young woman who's going to be married, of course, is the woman we said in the beginning, Margaret Lockwood, who's the actress playing Iris Matilda Henderson. And she's the one who's going to be married. All yeah. right, and she's the and one. And the guy, course, the guy the who's jumping over the bed is yeah. Gilbert Redmond. Yeah, right. Yeah. yeah. So we don't know who she is yet, Miss Freud. That's why we're calling her the older woman, but she is Miss Freud. All right. She's going to board the train as well. 
And But as she moves away from talking to the younger woman, we see her a few feet away, and some type of flower pot near an upper floor is moving, and we see a hand, and this flower pot falls towards her below. So Wait, so we had uh-huh. the guy get grabbed, the musician get grabbed with a hand, uh-huh. and here we see a hand pushing a flower, flower pot. Yep. Uh, kind of interesting. Yeah. <laughs> kind of interesting. The woman who's going to be married, uh, like we said, Iris, Iris, sees a pair of pinched-nay glasses on the ground, and she said, oh, they belong to the older woman, Miss Roy, and she moves to give them to her, and she gets hit on the head with a flower pot, not the older woman, not Miss Roy. So we think here the older woman, of course, was the target, Miss Roy, because the other one just came upon the scene by accident. It's like, oh, we're going to return her glasses. All right, so now we're wondering who made that flower pot fall and why? Who was the hand with the musician and why? Why this older woman? Why is she a target? We see falling things in tons of movies as a way to get the target below, even in The Spy Who Loved Me, as we recall. Jaws drops a big stone down towards Triple X and Bond in Cairo. Of course, he missed also. (laughs) But it's a trope used often. As I try to think about other examples of this, off the top of my head, there's, and I can't even believe I'm going to talk about this movie, but in Die Another Day, there is that (laughs) scene where Bond shoots the chandelier and the chandelier falls on top of Zhao, who's in the icy water. Yeah, yeah. And it's actually a scene in that movie I liked. That's a cool scene. Now, of course, this dropping things on top is a favorite trope in the Wile E. Coyote and Roadrunner cartoons. (laughs) Okay, all right, we got cartoons in here, too. <laughs> Not a spy movie, a but the cartoon movie. <laughs> treatment. <laughs> yeah, so we're comparing a Hitchcock movie to Wiley Coyote and Roadrunner cartoon. Wiley Coyote. <laughs> All right. All right. The hit has an effect on the younger woman. I mean, it's probably it probably fell three stories or whatever. One would say she was probably concussed. Yeah. As she boards the train, she boards the train anyway, and we see that she's getting a little dizzy and is not quite well. She sits in the compartment with the older woman and an Italian couple and another woman and a child. And the older woman, Miss Froy, as it's going to be, as she will turn out to be, suggests that they get some tea and then the younger woman should rest. They go to the dining car. Now, the train is rocky. It's running along the tracks, and it's it's rocking. And the older woman, Miss Froy, falls into the room of another couple for a second. And the gentleman there is not liking her seeing them. This is the lawyer we had mentioned in who was in the inn with his mistress, not really his wife. Yeah, that, he wanted to spend time with his girlfriend, not with Miss Froy. Yeah, we, we saw them at the <laughs> hotel, right? Remember that. And so they get to the dining car, and at one table are the two English gentlemen that we had mentioned with the tuxedos and so on. And they sit at another table. Miss Foy and uh, Iris sit at another table. The older woman wants tea, but she tells the waiter she only wants her tea and hands him a package of Harriman's tea that they should use. Yeah, no, when she said that, I couldn't understand what she was saying. It was hard. Yeah, so later in the movie, though, you see a tea packet on a window, yeah. and it's Harriman's herbal tea. Which is a clue, a big clue. So keep, a big keep clue the Harriman's the tea in mind. Yeah, now in the movie, Miss Froy says, a million Mexicans drink it. You know, at least that's what it says on the package. Well, <laughs> I read an article by Ron Deutsch who says Harriman's herbal tea was not a real product. 
Today, supposedly, Lags herbal teas have been the leading herbal tea in Mexico since 1956, but this okay. was earlier. I couldn't find out who was the leader in herbal teas in the mid-90s. Yeah, no product the, placement here. Yeah, in the <laughs> mid-1930s. I was looking, but yeah, there was no product placement here. <laughs> But herbal drinks have been considered herbal remedies for centuries in Mexico. So yeah. it would make sense. But this tea didn't exist and a million Mexicans didn't drink it. Yeah. <laughs> so. yeah. She wants her tea. So that's going to be the clue later. Harriman's tea. So they talk and the younger woman asks the older woman what her name is. And between the train whistle and the wheels clanking, she says her name over and over again, but it cannot be heard. So she writes it on the window. F-R-O-Y. And finally, we hear her say, it rhymes with joy. Froy, joy. All right, so. Yeah, so this, this is interesting, though, because in this scene, there are two different things that we had a hard time hearing. And two of them are important to the movie, right? This lady's name. Yeah. And the, the T. Yeah. <laughs> so. But the writing on the window is key, right? Because she yep. couldn't hear. So. Yep. And that's going to be an important clue later in the movie. So they return to yeah, the... Now, you say she's writing on the window. It wasn't like she took out a dry erase marker. No, no, with her finger. Right? She just used her finger yeah. and tried to... Like a frosted out. kind of window thing yeah. where you would write your name or draw a picture. Yeah, right. That's true. So they go back to the car, and then the younger woman falls asleep like she was supposed to, right? That's Miss Freud said she should. When she awakens, the seat where the older woman was sitting is vacant. She asks the others where her friend is, and they say that she was not there and never was there. What? <laughs> We're going, what? How could that be? Then another woman, dressed identically to the older woman, comes in and sits down. She's Madame Coomer. Obviously, we know, and the young woman knows, or at least thinks, that this is not her friend. Now, Dan... This scene here where somebody's in a, in a train car and then somebody comes in and looks in the train car and there's somebody different sitting in the seat yeah. with no acknowledgement as to, you know, or actually I think, in, I think they actually say it's the same person. But in the Ipcris file, right, there's a very similar plot point here where the doctor's been killed and his place has been taken. And so on the train. So it's it's kind of an interesting thing to see this here and then see it 30 years later in the Ipcris file. Yeah. And you see a lot of things that from the old Hitchcock movies that we're going to see in many spy movies to come for sure. Yeah. I mean, even Red Grant, uh, who was Robert Shaw playing Red Grant in From Usher With Love, pretending to be the British agent when he was really a Spectre agent. So, yep. you know, there's a lot of stuff like that. And that's on a train, of course, as well. All right. So now we're wondering for a moment if this woman really existed. Of course, though. We saw her talking to the English woman at the inn and to the young woman before boarding, and maybe the flower pot was meant for her, like we said. So, hmm. So yeah, we now know. we're watching this. We didn't get hit in the head, yeah. and we can see that it's a different person. <laughs> yeah, we can see it's a different person, but still, Hitchcock got you wondering, like, what's going on here? And was this really some kind of weird thing that maybe she doesn't exist? All right, so the young musician, Gilbert Redman, that we mentioned before, is also on the train and wants to help the young woman, who is Iris. So there's also a doctor on the train, Dr. Egan Hartz, who keeps saying that the blow on her head 
is what is causing these delusions. Okay, Dan, let me interrupt you here. Okay. <laughs> Here's a trivia question. You okay. know, I like trivia questions, and as we're doing more with trivia games now, um, where you can come and do trivia quizzes with us. Yeah. How well do you know your spy movies? All right, let's see. So, what lead role in The Lady Vanishes, and we've talked about all the main characters now, was played by the parent of someone who played the key, a key villain in one of the Mission Impossible movies. Okay. So this person who had a one of the leads in The Lady Vanishes was the parent of one of the Mission Impossible movies' villains. So who was the parent? Who was the villain in Mission Impossible? And what was the villain's name? And I'm going to give you a hint. The person playing the villain was also in the 1974 version of Murder on the Orient Express, which we think is a big basis or influencer of the movie The Lady Vanishes. So there's some interesting continuity here with a parent and their child. Mm. And, all right. The lady well, actually, you know what, Dan, before you don't give it away here, let's go through all of this. Let people think in the back of their mind while they're watching. And let's tell them at the end. All right. All right. So think about that. I think we have a guess. I have a guess. To Tom. Well, I know the answer. So. Tom knows the answer. <laughs> it, was, it was like, I saw right. and I'm like, I'm like, wait a minute. That's, and I didn't say who. Yeah. And, <laughs> All right, let's get back to the decoding. Ah, Gilbert is helping. So that's nice. He's trying to help the young woman, Iris. No one on the train will acknowledge seeing the older woman, only the woman who is wearing the identical clothes that she was wearing. That's the only one they said they saw. Even the waiter in the dining car denies that Iris and Froy were in the dining car together. The couple in the room down the hall, the one that Froy fell into, he denies seeing her. He's with his lover, not his wife, so... He does not want a scandal. The English gentleman. Yeah, you got to take a little bit of what he says with a grain of salt because he doesn't want any attention at all. Yeah, now you can see a lot of these people may have a reason why they're denying it. Like that's one of them. The English gentlemen deny it too because they don't want the train to be delayed because of the cricket match they're trying to get to in England. Okay. <laughs> Some co-occupants of the compartment Freud and Iris sat in originally were paid off, it looked like. And so... The drama unfolds, and we are in the dark as to what is really going on. But this moment is really terrific where the lady vanishes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's pretty cool. The doctor says he's going to pick up a patient at one of the stops that must undergo serious surgery when they get to their destination. And indeed, a stretcher is loaded onto the train with a body completely covered even with bandages wrapped tightly around the face as well. So this is obviously going to be some serious surgery here, apparently. More Hitchcockian intrigue, though, because it's really well done. He warns, he kind of tells everyone they're gonna, he's got to get this patient. You see this patient being loaded onto the train. It's like, okay, what's this all about? But then you see the bandages, and it's kind of like, hmm. <laughs> yeah, bandages everywhere. Yeah. So what's going on? Yeah, there are certain scenes we know will pop back up that could be helpful. And how can two people, Gilbert and Iris, cope with the challenge in front of them? Pietro Rossi, one of our listeners and Facebook group members, sent us this comment. This is Pietro Rossi um, from Brighton, UK. It's regarding The Lady Vanishes. Uh, my comment is, it takes a particular mindset to ignore all the passengers on a train and believe that you're the only one 
who's right. Thanks, Pietro. That was insightful because Gilbert and Iris must be steadfast in their beliefs about Miss Froy and strong of mind. Okay, here's some help for Gilbert and Iris. Remember, Miss Froy wrote her name on the window. Well, Gilbert and Iris are having tea at the same table. And then Iris sees the name on the window. So now she knows. Remember, she got hit in the head. So she didn't know exactly what was going on. Now she knows and he knows that there is a Miss Froy. He's right. And the tea Miss Froy used was her own tea that we mentioned. And even though the waiter denied it, well, Gilbert sees the staff dumping the garbage out of the window, which is... That's what they did for garbage. They dumped it out of the train window, apparently. Yes. <laughs> and what sticks to the window pane for a second? Hmm. The label from Miss Froy's special tea. And that's where I saw that it was Harriman's. Yeah. I was able to put that together. But you think about that today with all of the ecology stuff and the climate stuff. And here they are just dumping the, Dump the garbage car- off the train. Yeah. <laughs> a speeding train. Yeah. <laughs> We are somewhat relieved that there is a Miss Froy and still disturbed that she has vanished. The Italian couple that were sitting in the same berth, well, the man is a magician. Gilbert and Iris discover his equipment in the baggage car where they're looking for Froy. And he does a magic act where the lady vanishes. (laughs) I thought, okay, this is a cool little tie-in here. And it might be a clue. Yeah. I mean, it was like a poster, I think, that revealed that, right? And yeah. Now, now, actually, before you go on again, I want to jump in here because yeah. this whole train thing and okay. the baggage car thing, because you're, you're saying they found this in the baggage car, right? So in many spy movies, the baggage car seems to be an important place mm. for plot development. Yeah. So Hitchcock used the luggage car in the 39 steps mm-hmm. and he gets on a train to escape and we see a dining car and then he enters a berth that wasn't his to try to escape and then goes through the luggage car. Uh-huh. Now again, the luggage car doesn't have a big part of that movie, but it's there. Yeah. And in mm-hmm. secret agent, we don't see a luggage car on that train scene. That's actually one of the few yeah. Hitchcock movies that th- doesn't here in lady vanishes. We see it. We get the dining car and the luggage car. Mm-hmm. In Mission Impossible, Mission Impossible. I was going to mention that. First, yeah. yeah, the first Mission Impossible movie, mm-hmm. the luggage car does play a big role. Big one. So with we see reveal. early, early on in spy movie development with Hitchcock. Sometimes the luggage car is important. Sometimes it isn't. But it is one of those tropes that we see play out throughout the different spy movies, mm-hmm. and. The trains, the luggage cars, the dining cars, yeah they're all part of how that intrigue gets set up in uh, many spy movies. Yeah, and here we see this magician's equipment in the baggage car. It now plants this seed. Is this guy, are they behind the disappearance of Miss Roy? Because he does this act, the lady vanishes. That, that little tidbit is pretty cool. All right, so we see that Gilbert now, he's a little suspicious of this bandaged, patient that got on the train he wants to get into the berth where this bandit person is and there's a nun in there in that compartment sitting with this person so gilbert climbs outside of the train (laughs) another good train thing 
and is inching his way to the window of the compartment with the nun. Wait, somebody gets outside of the train in a spy movie? Oh, yeah. <laughs> and another train is approaching, going the opposite direction, almost hitting him. Oh, yes, another yeah. well-used trap. <laughs> we saw in the 39 Steps that Hanny, the main character, he was climbing outside of a train in Scotland, similar to this climb. And, of course, years later, 1983, in Octopussy, we see Bond climbing on the outside of the train and almost getting killed as well. And, of course, we see important parts in From Russia with Love that take place on the train, on the Orient Express train, actually. And trains become important pieces in a ton of James Bond and Mission Impossible movies, as you were saying, Tom, and yep. other movies to come as well. So, a lot so of you got the, and it's not just the baggage car, which is what I kind of focused on there, but... Yeah, a lot of the train stuff is important to these intrigue in part because of the Agatha Christie thing of everybody's kind of trapped there. There's nowhere to go. Yeah. So Gilbert does climb into the compartment with the nun who is really English. And so begins to side with Gilbert because she thinks that whoever is behind this will kill this person, this patient or whoever he unwraps the face and it is Freud. Shocking. <laughs> Just then, the Freud impersonator comes in, and they subdue her and wrap her up and put the real Freud in a closet. Hide her in the closet there. Okay. What convenient timing. <laughs> yeah. Well, sometimes it just works that way. Yeah. <laughs> it's a very good scene. And when they get to the next stop, the tension is there as an ambulance is there waiting for the patient and the doctor to deboard. And Gilbert and Iris and Miss Froy are waiting for the ambulance to leave. But the doctor unwraps the face in the ambulance and realizes it's not Froy. He talks. My double cross has been double crossed. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I hate when that happens. He talks to some of the military guards and they detach some cars. And then the train, as it pulls away, and those aboard that think they're safe, is diverted to another track and they are not near the safe border that they thought they were going to be near after all. Okay. Oh. So <laughs> this is really out there. Okay. This is not a spy movie, but there's a scene in the movie stripes. Where oh, they're trying to go to Czechoslovakia. Yeah. And they take the wrong road and end up getting diverted into trouble Yeah, here. This train is intentionally diverted, but they go into trouble. Yeah. But as, as soon as I saw that, it, I instantly thought of Stripes. Yeah, which is a great movie. Yeah, but it's not a spy movie. Blown up, sir. All right. The doctor <laughs> and the other military that we, we saw outside the train, they, they start pursuing the train, and the train must be stopped. And, and the engineers, who must be in on it or something, they actually stop the train. And more military are waiting for it at a spot where it stops. And a military person comes aboard and tells them to get off the train and they will be taken care of. Mm. Gilbert suspects them and smashes them over the head with a chair and takes his gun. Okay, here's a guy of action. He's not taking any chances. The other man who is with the mistress has a gun, but he won't use it, and they take it from him. So you know, interesting. One of the things, I talked about the fact that we're not talking about the 1979 version. Yeah. But one, based on the timing of this, the 1979 version had a lot of Nazi and Hitler references uh -huh. that this movie doesn't really have. I mean, you obviously you're in Germany, but yeah, yeah, it, yeah. It, it doesn't have that same feel 
Not as and elevated, all, certainly. Yeah, no. and and but they almost make light of it in the '79 movie. Here, these guys are just nasty. Yeah, it's going to get nastier here. It is, does get a little bit nastier here because as there's there's shooting going on and stuff, and yeah. Roy finally pulls Gilbert aside and tells them that she's a spy. So she has this code that must be delivered, and it's encoded in a tune. Yeah. Now, we remember earlier we said we were going to hear a tune a few times in this movie. Mm-hmm. And the tune that she gives them that's the, the code for you know the, for the information being passed on yeah. is the same tune the street musician was playing. You know, the guy who got grabbed by the hand. All right. Right? He was passing on the code and mm-hmm. got taken out. So now... Freud is telling Gilbert, he, you got to remember this tune. And he says, oh, I don't need to write it down. I'll, I'll remember it. Um, I'm good with music. Yeah, because he's and a musician. Then, I'm, I'm sorry? He's a musician. so he's, Yeah, he's, yeah. A, he's a musician, absolutely. So now, Freud, Freud wants him to, to memorize it deliver. in case she gets caught. Yeah, so that so there's she two gets, chances of it getting delivered, she says, I think. Yeah, and yeah. tells him where it needs to get delivered. If she's, yeah, yeah. If she's, now, of course... You've been set up. You know what's going to happen next. Froy's lowered out of the train to make her escape. Yep. Shots yep. are fired. You see her disappear. Yeah. We're not positive she was hit, but it sure looked like it. Yeah. Um, so if she doesn't make it, Gilbert's going to have to deliver this encoded message. Yeah. So we've got the f- the famous MacGuffin, the what tune. The what's the message? thing that has to get delivered? Yeah. Hitchcock 101. What's the MacGuffin, right? <laughs> the so there's the shootout going on. And, you know, Gilbert and some of the others are shooting the guards. Sometimes they're hitting them. Seems yeah. like they're running out of ammo. So Gilbert ends up going to the engine to try to f- get the train going again. Yeah, yeah. You know, hey, there's a concept. Let's get the heck out of here, right? Yeah. So he holds the engineers at gunpoint. Now, the engineers don't realize Gilbert's holding an empty gun. Yeah, yeah, yeah I'll know that. But yeah. the engineers are shot by the Germans. But Gilbert, like Bond always seems to do, except in the last movie, Gets the train going again and gets the heck out of there. Yeah, he knows how to do everything. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> now, there's a character we've been, we mentioned, but we haven't talked that much about, but is a very important character in this, and that's the doctor. Yeah. Because it turns out that he's involved in the kidnapping. Mm-hmm. And he's the one who's paid off all these people to deny ever seeing Freud. Yeah. Now, the the interesting part of that then is that the the two British gentlemen we talked about yeah Charters they end up Calico. engaging engaging in the action right they start fighting and shooting at the military guards yeah which I thought was was cool because I didn't think they were going to do it yeah it, absolutely but and it made you in, like them more yes right so yeah. you thought they were funny throughout the thing and yeah. they were a good pairing and they really like you really started to like them more at this point in the movie yeah. So actually, they were so popular with fans who saw the movie that they actually appeared in a 1940 movie, Night Train to Munich, which was another train story, of course, as the same characters. Oh, I didn't know that. That's <laughs> and, good. Oh, and that's Margaret good. Lockwood, who plays <laughs> Iris here, is in that movie as well. And there's also another reference to a movie that the same studio put out that year, Bank Holiday, the character Gilbert here says something as a diversion to Iris so that the woman impersonating Miss Freud would not hear what they were talking about. He says something like, I spent a bank holiday in Brighton once when they were on the train. So that's kind of that's pretty cool. And they, so again, bank that kind of like a call me Buana reference almost. <laughs> yeah, kind of was. Yeah. 
right. The pursuers must stop pursuing the train now because the train has crossed the safe border. And it looks like Gilbert, Alabond, has saved the day. <laughs> yeah. Well, we have to see, though. All right. Iris's boring fiance is the meter at the train station. We say boring because you're going to see he's boring. And, and she gets into a cab, sees her fiance, but is now obviously intrigued with Gilbert and decides to go off with him and leaves her fiance <laughs> standing there at the train station waiting for her. Wow, that's, that's cold. Yeah, that really was cold. But you have to admit, you know, Gilbert looks a lot cooler than that the short glimpse we see of her fiance, though. Yep. He looked pretty boring. All right, so the big picture now comes to a head, and we will see if Gilbert can get to the Foreign Affairs Office, which is where he's supposed to go, with the encoded tune, Remember the tune and deliver it. Whew. Well, you'll see for yourself when you watch this movie. This is a must-see movie. An hour and 36 minutes, worth your time. This was Hitchcock's last British film before heading to Hollywood. And it has a lot of the Hitchcock camera angles and shots that we would expect, which enhance the storyline unfolding before us. Great stuff. Are we ever terrified in this movie? No. It's amusing and serious at the same time, but it's not psycho. And it's not even the man who knew too much. But it is a fun movie to watch, and the British film industry rated it the 35th best British film of the 20th century. So, you gotta watch it. It's great. Yeah, and and I found this a fascinating Hitchcock movie because... There's so much humor in it. It's a little bit lighter, although the intrigue is there. Yeah. But it's different than a lot of the Hitchcock movies we've seen so far. It is. And even after. But it was a little less Hitchcockian feel than, I mean, if, when you first watch this, you may not catch this as a Hitchcock movie. It's different. Yeah. Now that said, I think it's a fun movie to watch. And as a spy movie fan, I think you're going to enjoy the intrigue and the twists that go along. Yep. All right. So now, Dan, we're done talking through the movie here. So let's go back. I asked that trivia question. Who was the parent of what their child ended up being in right. Murder on the Orient Express and played a villain in one of the Mission Impossible movies? All right, let's go through the main cast of characters. We got Margaret Lockwood, Michael Redgrave, Mae Whitty, Paul Lucas, Catherine Lacey, and Okay, a you bunch can stop there. We're through the main. Remember, I said this was one of the leads. All right, so which of those main leads has the big name? I'm going. With Michael Redgrave. That's Vanessa? very true. Vanessa? Vanessa was in Murder on the Orient Express All right. and, mission, and the first Mission Impossible movie. All right. Made Max. That's a wrap. This has been Dan Silvestri. And Tom Pizzotto. Of SpyMovieNavigator.com and our show, Cracking the Code of Spy Movie. Subscribe to our show and subscribe to us on YouTube as well. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram too. Thanks for listening. We appreciate it.